Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, where we will be sharing some of the most important investment opportunities that we are seeing in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. We will also interview subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To maximize every episode's value, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download your copy of the 65 investment terms you must know to reach your financial goals in the shortest time possible. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. So now on to the episode. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Four Star Podcast. Today, uh, we have our market commentary podcast where we're going to talk about what's going on in the economy. And boy, a lot of really interesting things are going on right now. Uh, so we got a lot to talk about. I'm Brian Castle, uh, your host, my Co-host is Mr. Christopher Reardon. Chris is with me today. Hello, Chris. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to be here. For those of you who are new here, Chris, of course, is the four-star director of development. He runs a big chunk of the firm and portfolios, reports, marketing, uh, anything, systems. Uh, he is the uh, brains of the outfit in many ways. So uh, we're proud to have Chris with, with me here as co-host again. So again, Chris, welcome. Thank you. Um, and I'm uh, I'm your founder and CEO of Four Star Wealth, the Chief Investment Officer, uh, also uh, Chartered Advisor of Philanthropy and uh, National Trustee Foundation of the Boy Scouts. So we're very involved in nonprofits as well. Um, I am the uh, husband to the amazing Tripti and father to Evan and Quinn, and uh, we are ready to have another podcast today, Chris. So let's do it. Um, the, so the markets are. The markets be crazy, right? So what's going on out there in the different asset classes, Chris, in the market today? Yeah, so um, we've seen a little bit more of a shakeup in the bottom three asset classes. Um, the, the top three asset classes, for the most part, have remained constant or unchanged. But uh, commodities still holds our number one position. It's at 324 tally points, uh, unchanged from the last podcast. Um Domestic equities is holds the number two position at 271, uh, unchanged as well. And then rounding out the top three, we have international equities at 191, uh, unchanged in third position. So the top three, a little move, obviously no movement there, I should say. Um, but then the bottom three, we've definitely had some movement. Fixed income still holds the number four position, but it continues to weaken. It lost four points from the last podcast, and it's at 124 now. Uh, so we do see that starting to move down. Cash on the other side of it uh, gained two points in the fifth position. It's at 112. Um, so we could see cash overtake fixed income if these trends continue, uh, but we'll just have to kind of continue and wait and see there. And then uh, currencies in sixth position gained three points and it's still sitting at that 70 mark. It's been kind of um, jumping back and forth gaining a little bit, losing um, off and on every other week, really, or every couple of weeks. So it's pretty been pretty consistent at that level. So uh, it's really been not much move in the top three, and, and pretty much all that movement's been in the bottom three asset classes uh, yeah. over the last couple of weeks. Chris, I don't remember a time uh, in the last six years we've been doing the podcast and tracking those numbers when the top three are all unchanged from one period to the next. I don't remember a time like that. Yeah, I mean, I think you would expect to see at least a little bit of change, especially because we've had just, a, I mean, the markets have been very volatile, both upside and downside. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's almost everything's kind of netting out, if you will, and we've just seen almost a stalemate in those top three asset classes. 
ground. But yet under the hood, we're seeing a lot of activity. Uh, and, and of course, uh, you know, we saw the worst quarter in two years uh, in the stock market in the first quarter, but it was actually a lot worse in the mid-March. So it rallied to uh, be still the worst quarter in two years. So it would have been a really, really bad, bad quarter if it ended on March 15th. But, um, you know, we saw technology stocks get slaughtered. We saw a lot of really dysfunctional things in the stock market in the first quarter. Then the tech stocks started to rally. Now they're selling off again. So it's getting a little sloppy, a little bit messy. But the bond market, which is usually what people consider to be their safe bucket investment, is down 7% for the year. We did a um, a uh, interview uh, that is available in podcast uh, that just came out. Mark, Mark Mike Cherwillinger of uh, BC Partners talked all about the bond market and a credit expert. And uh, that's also the videos on TikTok, LinkedIn, and Twitter that you can see uh, little video clips of Mike talking about the bond market. So, uh, so really messy, Chris. It's a really messy time. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's definitely been... The market now, um, especially really year to date, and especially with the rate uh, rise environment we're in, it's it's a much different environment than we've seen the last couple years. Um, and even kind of coming out of the pandemic with with the huge pop we saw there, um, and then kind of 2018, 2019, I would say the, the closest we've really seen from a volatility perspective to this would be, I'd say, and it's still, I would say doesn't compare, but uh, 2018 Q4, we saw a big pullback, and a lot of that was due to um, the Fed was raising interest rates at that point again as well. Um, but we're, we're in just a different world than we were uh, even four or five months ago. Yeah. Well, and then today, the uh, 10-year Treasury bond hits 2.8% in different uh, side percentages of that, but 2.8, 2.9. And that's the highest since 2018. So um that would that at that time it was on the down down low but now it's moving back up so um you know we're kind of normalizing interest rates but even james bullard who's the st louis fed president says we may see a 75 basis point increase they're very worried about inflation and it's not getting better and in fact it's getting slightly worse so um you know we'll, we'll talk about that in our economic section but also uh we saw the biggest move in housing start since 2006 too. So real estate's moving up, same as the 1970s when real estate prices moved up in a tough economy in the 1970s. Same thing's happening now. Uh, but Chris, you you had some other uh, economic numbers that you were looking at too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of what you alluded to, Ryan, the main event, if you will, is, is inflation. I mean, inflation has really been um, kind of the biggest hot topic um, on media and just in general with the markets. And uh, the numbers came in for March, and it was at 8.5%, which was, you know, a decade-high uh, number there. Uh, it's the fastest annual rate since December, or four-decade high, I should say, since uh, 1981, December. Um, that's up from 7.9% annual, the 7.9% annual rate in February. So it has increased still. So we are still seeing acceleration in inflation. Uh, but I think the underlying aspects of it, the core price index, and that excludes food and energy, which tend to be more volatile, uh, that rose at 6.5%, so still very high. I mean, it's not like this is all um, energy or gas prices. It, it's, it's pretty broad. Um, that rose at 6.5% in year-over-year in March. That was the largest 12-month rise since August of 1982. 
So we're, we're really going back to the 80s uh, to get the, you know, the last time we were at these numbers. Uh, but I think the one underlying bright spot is the month month over month change in that core index. Uh, it rose, but it only rose slightly. It rose 0.3% month over month. So that's from February to March. And that's the slowest pace in the past six months um, of month over month increases. Um, and most of that was also due to, we're starting to see declines in um, used vehicle prices. They decreased 3.8%. Uh, so we're starting to see some cracks in some of the underlying areas that have over the last year, year and a half driven this up and one of the main drivers. So um, we could potentially see that top. It could have that 8.5% highlight number could be the top, um, but we don't know. Um, but there, there is some underlying data that's saying potentially um, we could be at the at the top in March. So, if interest going higher to ward off the inflation, what does one do? So, uh, obviously, the bond market's getting hurt because most bonds are they call them fixed income, but you know there are bonds that are not fixed; they are floating rate bonds. So, uh, Four Star has always made a, a a big effort to be in floating rate bonds at various times. And we have a portfolio that is in that is pure floating rate bonds. It's been unpopular uh, for the last couple of years, but now it looks like it's popular again. And then our, our rising bond model also includes some floating rate bonds now also. So uh, there are things that an investor can do uh, or look at corporate credit. So there, there are things to be done in an environment like this. Um, so, Chris, that's kind of you know our posture on that, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think the I mean the other side of it, you know, when you see a rising rate environment uh, defend off this inflation, like Brian said, I think at this point, I think they're baking in a fifty basis point or a 05 percent um, rate hike coming at the next Fed meeting. Um, you know, you would expect the housing market to slow down, but we really haven't seen it slow yet. Uh, housing starts are, are uh, rose to an annual rate of one point seven nine million. To beat estimates, which were 1.75 million, and uh, so that's new housing starts is essentially new new construction. So they're building a lot of homes, but there still is a significant uh, supply and demand issue in housing, uh, and it's actually funny enough only getting exacerbated by this rate hike because if if you own a home now, even if it's worth 100% more than what you paid, uh, do you want to sell it if you're locked in at a 3.3% or 2.5% interest rate? And then go buy a much more expensive home and have to pay five, six percent in interest rates on it. So you have a lot more of um, owners who are much more reluctant to sell unless they have to. Uh, so that's a decrease in the supply. Demand is still there. Um, so you have housing prices that have continued to rise and probably will continue to rise until um, th this will choke off some of that. But until we have some of that supply and demand issue disparity kind of. Um, close. And that will happen. It may take a year. It might take two years. Maybe it'll take less. Uh, but there will come a time, especially with all these housing starts, that a bunch of new houses will have been built. The market will have a ton of supply and things will start to kind of cool off and ease down again. Yes. And all, all real estate is local. So, uh, you know, it's all about what's being purchased in that local market. Uh, right now, there's enormous number of apartments and Certain markets have been built uh, all through the pandemic. So some markets are seeing softness in rents because there's so many apartments, but still the regular housing starts are strong. Um, I'm going to introduce a new word to the Four Star Podcast that I remember very, very well. And some of the old timers might remember this word. And it's a word called disinflation. 
So it's not inflation is when prices are going up. We know that painfully right now. And we, anyone who's around in the 70s remembers that well. And then deflation was when prices are going negative. And that's a really bad scenario where prices are going negative and then the whole economy collapses if we have deflation. But um, if inflation is high and going lower, but still positive, that's an environment we call disinflation. And I remember back in the early 80s, uh, Chris, before you were even around, if I, if I believe uh, I'm right on that, um, the uh, disinflation was hopping because uh, inflation had been so high and we were going down to a lower uh, inflation rate. Inflation at the base level, maybe one to 2% is kind of an important normal part of an economy. Uh, you know, maybe a 2% inflation is an interesting model. Certainly the Fed target. Uh, but you know, deflation doesn't work, but high inflation also doesn't work. So as we're going from high inflation to normalized kind of 2% inflation, they call that environment disinflation. So um, that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Although in the short run, it went up, but certain commodities like cars and other things are going down. But you know, foodstuffs are up and oil is still up. We, you know, we're paying $5 a gallon seven dollars a gallon for gas and all that kind of crazy stuff so some of that stuff should ease though by the fall we think um but you know it's just a matter of time so buddy uh, pray for disinflation is that <laughs> getting back to uh a normalized level and then we can go back to a normal economy which i think we will probably later this year unless of course we fall into recession which is entirely possible and many economists are, are calling for that, but then that would probably be short-lived and we'd go back to a normal growth economy again. So um, anyway, Chris, what else do we see out there? Yep. Yeah, so uh, the, a, a couple of no other numbers that we got, uh, retail and restaurant spending rose by 0.5% in March over February. Uh, that is down from the 0.8% increase we saw in February uh, from January. Uh, the biggest things to highlight of that number, uh, gasoline sales jumped 8.9%. So huge contributing factor to that uh, spending increase was really gas sales. Uh, and on the flip side of that, online retailers saw a 6.4% drop month over month. So we're already starting to see that the five, like Brian said, five to $7 gas price, uh, dollar per gallon gas prices at the pump, eat into people's pockets. And what are they doing? They're spending more on gas and they're pulling back on online retail purchases, um, auto sales as well saw a 1.9% decline. So if you exclude gasoline sales from that um, uh, retail and restaurant spending number, it actually fell by 0.3% um, month over month. So uh, overall, it, it looks like a good number, but in reality, we are starting to see what we would expect. Um, people are, are pulling back on these expenditures, which aren't necessary because they have to spend more on necessary expenditures, whether that be electricity, whether it be gasoline and other items and food, of course. Um, what else we're seeing is American credit card spending is up. So Americans are piling on more debt. Uh, we just got earnings from uh, some of the major banks, Citigroup, JP Morgan and Wells Fargo, and all three reported uh, that spending on credit cards were up. I think Citi had their number, Spending was up 23% year over year. JP Morgan, it was up 29%. And at the top, Wells Fargo credit card spending was up 33% for their consumers. So we're starting to see uh, consumers put more on credit cards and spend more. Overall, there's positive aspects of that, but too much debt is a very bad thing. So 
I think it's something to keep a close eye on, um, you know, as this as it continues to evolve. Yeah. So inflation and higher prices crowds out other spending, uh, re- re- reorder spending. So it changes the economy in many ways that are negative. So eventually it could lead to recession if we don't solve this quickly. Uh, so that's why it's really important that disinflation come in, Chris, right? Yeah, I mean, I, that's obviously the Fed is, is shooting for disinflation would be the exact term that the Fed wants, right? They want to bring that number back down to that 2% number. Um, uh, I think it will happen. I don't know if they'll ever get back to that 2% number in the short term, but I think if they can, in their mind, if they can get it between two and four, maybe even 5%, something that's manageable, um, an amount of inflation is is definitely um, necessary and good for the economy. And people would argue 2% is too low. I mean, I think in that two to five percent range, people would argue, um, or to even two to four, um, that's decent inflation, and, and that could be good for the economy. Yeah, it's a normal, healthy thing. Uh, of course, we all remember our grandparents uh, saying that they could buy, you know, gas for a nickel a gallon and things like that, and bemoaning the old days. But again, you know, normal inflation is part of a normal economy. So I'm sure that our grandchildren and Great grandchildren will say the same thing about, oh, I remember when Bitcoin was only at forty thousand a unit, you know that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, so so things have changed a lot. So uh, great. Anything else on the economy, Chris? Uh, no, that at least uh, the domestic economy. That's all I had number wise from the domestic economy. Okay, well, good. Well, lots of other changes in the economy are happening, and you know there is a little mini surge in certain countries on COVID again. Although, interestingly enough, the mask mandates were overturned today by a federal judge uh, for the uh, airline industry and for the transportation industry. Uh, There was not enough justification for it. And uh, the legislature has to make those rules. So the CDC got overturned by a federal judge. So just today, everybody's lifting their masks and throwing their masks out the window or whatever else they're doing uh, with sheer joy. Uh, so that's good. Now, China, China, on the other hand, is in total lockdown right now. And I guess that's, again, a big difference between American society with freedoms and the Chinese society where they're, you know, total, total uh, control. They can uh, turn, as you mentioned, Chris, the entire city into a gulag and, and lock down everything. It's really a shame. But uh, maybe some folks have seen those videos of late at night where they have all the lights on in Beijing but they hear all the screams from people in their apartment yearning to get out and people are screaming. Uh, It's really quite sad, unfortunately. Uh, And they also had been separating kids from their parents. uh, And then, of course, they put some of those folks back together. But uh, they've also had drones overhead in China telling people that uh, their freedom doesn't matter and they must lock down going forward for a zero COVID policy. Uh, So it's been pretty bad over there. Really bad, Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I'm not necessarily a, a health uh, professional, if you will, but it's interesting to see. I mean, I think uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, Brian, that, you know, if you flipped it kind of towards the very beginning, uh, first six months or a year of the pandemic, it was almost reverse where you had America really kind of struggling to, to grasp it. You had a lot of lockdowns, restaurants, closures, things like that. Um, not as significant as China, just because America is, like you said, Brian, very different. They're very totalitarian. They're going to lock down. Uh, but um, you, you almost seen it flip. So you saw it flip here. In the beginning, you had China was, they kind of crushed it, the, the virus really quick, and they kind of opened everything up. 
Uh, in America, we just kind of slagged through it. And it, it was just really tough. Now, now it's going to come back and hit China again. And I think it's really interesting to note because I think in America, for most of the world, a lot of people got COVID. They either got COVID or they got um, the, uh, the um, shots, the, the vaccines. So a lot of people got exposure to it one way or the other for the most part, built up the antibodies. A lot of people got it without even knowing. So I feel like now we're getting a lot more um, strands, are a lot more viral, and, and we're seeing that play out in the American or in America right now. Uh, I think it's uh, strand B02 or something, I think is the latest one that uh, it's definitely going through the population, but it's just, I think, showing it a cold, very mild. Most people don't even know they have it. So, which is the ideal. This is an endemic disease. So, uh, whereas China, since they didn't get those immunities um, or had very little exposure, I think they're, they're bearing more of the brunt of it. So, it'll be interesting. I know um, just earlier this week, I think China's economic numbers came out and they grew at 4.8% in Q1, which blew away expectations. Uh, but it'll be a lot more challenging to keep that momentum going into Q2 um, with these, these lockdowns. I mean, it's you're talking you know, tens to 20 million people being locked down in cities all over the country. I mean, it's, it's pretty significant. Um, so it's going to be hard to repeat that um, number. And any number we really get from China, obviously, we take with a grain of salt as well. Well, and, and anyone who's a China watcher remembers how they uh, reported a 6% growth every quarter, no matter what. Uh, and then uh, they saw it break to five. Now they're at 4.8. But you know, the reality is they, they've shut down 70% of their economy. And when we shut down 40% of our economy in the second quarter of 2020, we saw a negative 32% quarter, negative 32. So I'm not sure how they're at 4.8 when they shut down 70% of their economy. So as Chris said, you know, sometimes the numbers out of China are, are, are not believable. And I kind of consider those to be probably not believable either. Um, but nonetheless, they, they run things the way they do. Um, and there's a big distrust in government in China, but they have total control. But that's also happening here. Now, a lot of this doesn't affect the economy necessarily, but it could over time, depending on how the government um, you know, uses its power. But there's a big distrust. Uh, two defendants in Michigan were acquitted of, uh, of the uh, trying to kidnap uh, Governor Whitmer. It turns out the FBI was involved in it. And it also turns out the FBI was involved in January 6th. Uh, the storming of the Capitol, and they were kind of uh, spiking it and causing it to happen. So, you know, many of these things are not necessarily economic, but if the government keeps uh, pushing uh, certain narratives, it could affect the economy. And so that's why we watch it here in the Four Star Podcast. Uh, but there's plenty of political shows where you can learn more about those things if you'd like. We just hope that it doesn't lead to major distrust of government. And then then uh, then it see the whole economy seizes up if people don't trust uh, the referee, the government is the referee in our business uh, environment and needs to be a fair arbiter and not take sides and not have positions like that. But um, Chris, we did see a, a big move for uh, for free speech by Elon Musk, right? Yeah, yeah. We t- I think we talked about this, but it was kind of just breaking on the last podcast that Elon Musk uh, did a large purchase of Twitter, uh, some Twitter shares, and they asked him originally to join the board um, Elon Musk looked like he was originally going to take it, but I think what he ran into is 
he likes to obviously be very provocative on the platform and, and joke. And you know, he's looking for a significant amount of change in the platform as well from a free speech standpoint, like you mentioned earlier. And I think he realized if he took a board seat, he was not going to be able to really enact that change. And he would really just be kind of handcuffed uh, within the Twitter board. Uh, so he declined the board seat in actuality. And then he kind of um, essentially made a bid for a uh, full takeover. I think it was like $52 a share, if I remember correctly. 43. Was it 43 $43 a share. Um, so he made a bid for, for the entire company to purchase it. Um, right now, Twitter's board is actually fighting it. So they enacted what, what's known as a pill, poison pill provision. And essentially what that means is if um, Elon Musk decides to do a hostile takeover, starts trying to aggressively purchase shares just in the general market, um, once he reaches uh, a certain threshold, I think it's around it's around 20, I think it's less than 20%, let's call it 17%. Uh, once it hits a certain threshold, they will actually release new shares at a much lower price to um, to current shareholders. So the goal of a poison pill, pill provision is to dilute Elon Musk's shares. So it's really hard for him to get majority um, ownership because every time he buys a big chunk, it just gets diluted back down. So um, we'll see. I mean, I don't know if they're outright just going to rebuff him or if they'll come back with a certain price. Uh, who knows? But uh, it's certainly interesting um, to see. And I think on, on that note, too, um, I think it just came out today, Blackstone, which is another large um, uh, financials company, uh, they agreed to buy student housing owner American campus communities. Uh, and this deal, massive deal, $12.8 billion. Um, so it, it's really interesting. We're starting to see companies, I think, really start to take a positioning and posture on coming out of the pandemic. Um, and they're looking to benefit from the fact that really there's been relatively low, if, if any at all, new student housing. Um, I think everyone knows a lot of campuses have either gone Zoom over the last two to three, two and a half years, um, done Zoom classes, haven't been very much in person, uh, so they haven't really had any, a need for any new student housing. So there's a shortage there on top of the national housing shortage. So Blackstone's making a play to um, hopefully in their mind collect uh, very high rents uh, for the student housing market. Yes. So, Chris, back to your comments about Elon Musk. You know, even Jack Dorsey, now the founder of Twitter, who has also been known to be someone who uh, had been censoring uh, different groups of people uh, under some sort of model where they thought that they were trying to keep bad things from happening on Twitter. Uh, but everyone kind of felt they crossed the line. Now, even Jack Dorsey is supporting Elon Musk. Uh, and, and some of the old timers listening to this today may be smiling when we talk about poison pills, because that's an old technique that was done in the 80s by people like Ivan Bosky and anyone remembers the RJR Nabisco acquisition in, in uh, 1990, uh, way back. So, uh, you know, eventually most of those poison pills, uh, you know, got realized where the company had to do the best thing for the shareholders and not dilute shareholder value, which is what a poison pill is. And they eventually did find some sort of negotiated way to sell to a, a person willing to make a bid for a company at a significantly higher price. They have a fiduciary obligation to the shareholders to get them the best price. So right now, Elon Musk has the best price. Now, there's rumors someone else may come in, but Elon Musk has even said he's not even worried about the economics of Twitter. He wants Twitter to be a free speech outlet. 
So he's probably willing to bid more. If somebody else tries to outbid him, he'll bid more, I bet. So we'll see how this plays out. It's, uh, it's uh, again, for those who have been around for a while uh, and, and they remember the Ivan Boski and all the corporate raiders and, and, uh, and uh, boy, there are three or four of them. I can't even remember any, anymore, uh, but that was a big thing in the 1980s. And then, Chris, your comment about student housing, uh, you know, all this campus is closed. So some student housing uh, companies went bankrupt, actually, because they, you know, they uh, had debt and they couldn't support their their mm-hmm. their forms. And there was no PP program for them uh, or didn't seem to be much. So what a what a strategic buy, though, for Blackstone, isn't it? To buy in student housing right, hopefully near the bottom. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that it's a, it's an interesting play on their standpoint. Um, and I think it, it, it's it's positive in regards to the fact that they're obviously putting significant financial investment in this, that they believe that, that this pandemic for the most part is over, that we're going back to a, a, a state of normalcy for the foreseeable future, uh, for at least from the pandemic standpoint. So, um, yeah, I think it's positive from, from the overall outlook. Yes. So, so the bottom line to kind of recap for today, we do see risks of recession here. And if the Federal Reserve um, chooses to raise interest rates very, very quickly uh, to ward off inflation, they could go possibly too fast and cause a recession. Uh, There are other factors, of course, that could cause a recession as well. Or maybe the Fed will raise rates and the economy absorbs those rates, brings inflation back down, and we don't fall into recession. So there's a number of ways this could play out. And we're just going to keep watching and reporting in here on the four star Today's Market Explained podcast, Chris. Uh, anything else you think we should share with the group today? No, that, that's it. I think that uh, about covers it. It's a good uh, catch up on, catch up uh, market overview. Well, good. Well, let's uh, we'll leave it there. A couple uh, housekeeping items. Uh, we do blog posts on the Four Star website. There are four mini sites. Uh, my Yours truly, Brian Castle, I have the Leadership Matrix site, and uh, we had a, a really interesting set of uh, blog posts since our last uh, four-star podcast. One was about the time that we were forced to rent an electric car because there were no cars available at Hertz, Dollar, or Thrifty, and we uh, blo- we uh, spawned a blog post called America's New Pastime or a Royal Waste of Time, and uh, I was thinking more like the latter, actually, because I was sitting at a Wawa station somewhere outside of the Philadelphia airport for an hour with Jack trying to figure out how long is this thing going to take to charge. And so uh, a lot of business folks and others have not really thought about, gee, if I get an electric car, you know, when am I going to fit in the time to charge this thing? Unless, of course, you charge it at night, which uh, that sounds like the best way to do it. But nonetheless, uh, we were we were thinking about all the possibilities of maybe they could serve food or maybe they could, you know, uh, have shows or play movies or something while you're sitting, uh, sitting at the gas station uh, and getting your electric charge done. But anyway, that was, uh, that was one that struck a nerve with a lot of people. So it's on the four star website. Uh, the blog post is called the Na- America's new national pastime or Royal waste of time. And then recently we put out one about the incredible shrinking oil industry as uh, the current administration is spending a lot of time trying to forcibly shift people to electric uh, energy, which is a good clean energy, but yet it's hurting the oil industry pretty quickly. And so uh, we wrote a piece about that, about 
how the oil industry is shrinking and how quickly it's shrinking. And then one more piece came out about a better means of tax collection. And it's partly driven by the fact that we have really now come to a very high taxes in America and many states. Uh, we also have lots of services. Some think, we're, some think we're becoming a socialist state like Europe, where there's been very little private sector growth in the last 30 or 40 years. So we're suggesting a number of articles there that talk about better means of tax collection. So maybe we do value-added taxes and other user taxes rather than just income taxes and things like that. So, so that's out there also on that Leadership Matrix podcast. And we have one coming up here over the weekend, Chris, about is the market efficient? Um, they, they often talked about the market efficiency uh, theories and the market's always efficient, right? But maybe it's not. And there's some discussion there about how the market is efficient and sometimes how it's not really efficient. And there's anomalies that you can get take advantage of. So, Chris, you know, the other thing is I think many of our listeners are aware that the video of us taping these podcasts and all the other interviews are also available on LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok as well. So um, it, people used to think TikTok was just for uh, young girls dancing or uh, many people in China or something like that. But TikTok is now available for business people as well. So the, the, the four-star clips are out on TikTok. And uh, so be sure to have a look at TikTok under Today's Market Explained. And you'll be able to see us make some of these provocative statements uh, that we're making here in the podcast, now also in video form. Um, so don't forget about TikTok. And then also one interesting interview that's coming uh, in a four-star podcast with also video clips coming is Catherine Von Berg, who is an expert in, the, in energy storage and battery storage. And that's really what Tesla is all about. Tesla is like the biggest electric car company now. All the big car companies, Chris, as you know, are going into electric, um, mm -hmm. hybrid, you know, combined gas and then electric power uh, or just pure electric cars. And so battery storage is going to become really the hottest item to think about. And Catherine Von Berg is an expert in that area. And she comes on to tell us a little bit about what's going on in that area. So uh, so a lot, lot to look forward to. Um, Chris, anything else we should uh, share? I think, we, I think we were done, right? Yeah, I think that covers it. Well, for Chris Reardon, for the whole great four-star staff, um, we want to thank everybody for being with us today in the four-star podcast. And uh, we will be back again with a Catherine Von Berg uh, interview and then a, another uh, episode very soon where we talk about the markets from today forward. So thanks again, everybody, for being with us today. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about maximizing your stock market returns in the least amount of time and effort, please go to todaysmarketexplained.com and download your copy of the 65 investment terms you must know to reach your financial goals in the shortest possible time. If you felt any benefit from this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this link with anyone you think will also find value and benefit here. Also, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and 
and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. So thanks so much for tuning in and keep growing out there, everyone. This podcast is provided by Four Star Wealth Advisors for general public and general information purposes. This content is not considered to be an offer to buy or sell any securities or investments. Investing involves the risk of loss and an investor should be prepared to bear potential losses. Investments should only be made after a thorough review with your investment advisor, considering all factors including personal goals, needs, and risk tolerance. Four Star is an SEC registered investment advisor that maintains its principal business in the state of Illinois. The firm may only transact business in states in which it's filed or qualifies for corresponding exemption from such requirements. For information about Four Star's registration status and business operations, please consult the firm's form ADV disclosure documents, the most recent versions of which are available on the SEC Investment Advisory Public Disclosure website at advisorinfo.sec.gov.